Hey everyone, this is Vlad Excel and I'm a North Face athlete and the founder of Bix Hydration. You are listening to Nomad Wolf. Get out there and explore your potential. Ever miss the mark you set for yourself? You may be left vulnerable, feeling stuck in a low point, questioning your abilities to go out and perform what's staring back at you again. But in the midst of this dark time, you begin again, step by step. This time, a bit smarter. But what's changed? Your approach. You've asked for help along the way, and those people have begun to light your path with answers and belief. My name is Glenn Gabriel, and this is the Nomad Wolf Podcast, a show about life, sport, business, and everything we could eat in between. We connect with high performers, endurance athletes, biohackers, mindset coaches, and pretty much anyone around the world with the appetite to challenge their potential, thus uplifting and unlocking everyone else's ability to seek theirs. So whether you're going from couch to 5K or you're a long workout weekend warrior, we hope you find what you've been looking for or what's been looking for you. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nomad Wolf. This week's episode is loaded up with all the essentials to keep you going for longer. Whether you need inspiration to pivot your addictive personality, or you need specific strength and flexibility routines to help you on the trails, or even the electrolytes to keep you in the game for longer, Vlad Ixel has got you covered. A runner for the North Face who literally hasn't stopped running since 2013, even doing as many as 30 races a year. Vlad has recently taken on a new venture, co-founding a company called Bix, which aims to give athletes not only the essential vitamins and minerals, but the right amount needed for proper recovery. On top of that, he's also an online running coach. How does he do it all? We'll likely find out in this hour. Without further introduction, Vlad, thanks for taking the time out of your day to be on this episode of Nomad Wolf. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. So before we get into how you traded up your addictions, I'm kind of curious in knowing if you share an addiction that most of us have, and that's the addiction to coffee. Um, are you doing coffee? And if so, do you? how do you like it? And where is your favorite coffee shop in the world? Yeah, definitely. I mean, caffeine is a big part of... Um of getting as much as I can out of my day. Saying that, I usually like, I would do probably two or three times a year. Um, you know, it could be like a month or a month or two months without any caffeine, just so I don't get too dependent on it and like yeah. have that control over it. Yeah. Um, so it's not easy. Like, you know, the first three or four days with no caffeine, you're definitely kind of feeling down. But then literally after three or four days, you kind of forget about caffeine. And it's actually nice um staying away from it for you know four weeks eight weeks at a time and then you know coming back to it because i do enjoy the taste of coffee i do think that caffeine actually helps my um, performance in races um so you know i actually load up on caffeine before races um you know i have my what have a morning coffee but something that i do sometimes is actually mix my my coffee with decaf coffee um you know, to kind of just so I get more tolerance to caffeine because I think it's such a great drug. Um, and to get the most out of it, you want to make sure that, you know, you, you kind of have that tolerance, you control the tolerance a bit. When you uh, take these hiatuses off of coffee, do you 
like I've gone on like a four month bender on, on just tea. Do you just completely take caffeine out of the equation or do you slowly wean yourself off? Yeah, kind of like, um, I kind of work my way down. So I'll, I'll kind of add more decaf into my normal mix. I'm not like, you know, obviously I like good coffee, but I don't have time to spend making nice cups of coffee during the day. So it's yeah. pretty much instant coffee. Um, and then I mix it with decaf and then slowly get to the point where it's hardly any real coffee in it and you hardly feel the difference. And then, yeah, I would have, you know, a few weeks off with no coffee at all, no decaf as well. It's more that mental kind of refresh button um, yeah. that I kind of enjoy doing. And I've learned that it's really good. And I've been doing that with, with alcohol, for example, which has been good. And, and I've done that with gluten in the past and, and with sugar, with um, processed sugar and stuff like that. So it's actually yeah. kind of like a nice way of being in control of, you know, all those drugs. Yeah, it's a great way to just mentally, you know, stay on top of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's really powerful, actually, like, you know, like a few days after you give up caffeine and you went past that hard stage, you kind of go, wow, I don't really need that. Like, you know, where people go, kind of go like, I got to have my coffee in the morning. Um, you know, it's nice not being you know, depended on that cup of coffee. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, some addictions are just really hard to break for like most people. Coffee is a tough one, like you said, because the t it tastes so good and there aren't too many other options that are as appetizing as the vessel that is coffee, right? And I guess people don't really break addictions, but rather trade them or transfer them with hopefully better ones. And I guess that's probably one of the biggest cornerstones of, of your story where you kind of DNF'd alcohol and cigarettes and in its place dedicated your life to the trails. Could you share more about that switch to running and I guess the path that ultimately led to your first big podium? Yeah, I mean, I have a very crazy um, addictive personality that is super extreme. So whatever I do, I kind of go all in. And that could be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, when I was a student, you know, I was studying architecture and, and in many ways I dove in to do the best I can in my course and I was doing well. But then at the same time, I took smoking to the extreme and trying to become, you know, the best smoker ever and the best drinker ever. And, you know, really addicted to energy drinks back then. Like I wasn't a big fan of coffee, the taste of coffee, but I was addicted to caffeine. So I was drinking a lot of energy drinks. And luckily I got, uh, well, I was about to turn 25 and I got to that kind of understanding that I don't want that next quarter of my life to be as unhealthy as the first quarter. And I pretty much gave up smoking overnight from smoking a packet of cigarettes a day um, mm -hmm. to nothing. And I signed up to a marathon and I finished that marathon and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But that sense of accomplishment and that feeling of achieving my goal, even though it was such a small thing, you know, it was only three hours of running. Um, painful, but it's only three hours and on the scale of things is nothing really. Um, but finishing it, like, you know, I was on such a high for the next three or four weeks um, yeah. that I got addicted and I'm still addicted to that feeling of finishing races. Like I, I think that since that marathon, I probably would have done 250 races in the last eight years. Um, but I'm still addicted to that finish line feeling. Yeah. You know, the obviously it's not as strong anymore. Um, that's probably why I have to do more races to get my fix, but finishing a race, I feel like the three or four hours after finishing the race, like I'm on such a high and 
doesn't really matter what happens during that day. I know that I finished a race. I did well. I did my best. And that's what I'm addicted to, I think, right now. And like you said, I, I switched that from an unhealthy habit like smoking to running. And then I know to kind of maximize that feeling of feeling well after a race, I need to do well at that race. And that means training. Um, so, you know, for the last eight years, I've been pretty much running twice a day. So I think that for the last eight years, I've averaged half a marathon every single day of the year for eight years um, to kind of make sure that I get my fix when I do my race. And, and then I can um, get that feeling, which has been, yeah, it's been life-changing. And, and to, to be honest, like that addictive personality is a bit of, it's a, it's a scary kind of thing to have because I'm too scared to try different things because I might go all in. Um, so for example, I did oh, some really? triathlon. I did some triathlons two years ago and, um, you know, I went all in into triathlon, you know, suddenly. Uh -huh. And suddenly I was doing um, six half Ironmans in six months. Um, I would race a triathlon race every single weekend, like shorter distances, um, you know, swimming twice a day, you know, cycling every single day, obviously still running. Um, but yeah, you know, that kind of personality could go go, go both ways. Yeah. When it came to, I guess, triathlon, I assume that it took much more time compared to running because obviously there's three disciplines that you have to master. Your schedule probably compared to training for ultras took much more time. It was way more time intensive when you were training for like Ironmans and stuff like that, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And especially because I, like that was, I bought my first bike when I was, you know, 30 years old um, and I never swam ever. Like, you know, I moved to Australia when I was 14. So I passed that stage where they teach you how to swim in school. Um, yeah. So it kind of meant that I had to spend a lot of time learning new skills, which was really fun. And I probably would have kept on it if it wasn't taking such a big chunk of my time. Um, running does take a lot of time, but yeah, triathlon is a different whole beast of, of taking your time. Um, but I think like, you know, in many ways, there's also a lot of positives from it. You know, you're still investing. It's a, it's a kind of a very selfish way of doing things, but you're still investing time for your own health and, and your own personal goals, which, you know, I didn't look at it as a, as like, you know, a waste of time. I just saw it as an investment for a period of time. And now I'm back into, into just running, which is still, you know, 15 to 20 hours of training a week. And it's crazy that you've been on this journey or this, I guess, fitness journey for the past eight years. Thinking back to your first marathon, uh, was it exactly a year after that that you got into trail running? No, no, not at all. I, I did that first marathon. I pretty much signed up to another marathon about five weeks after that. And then I literally came home after that marathon and I Googled the world hardest running races and what? next thing I know, I was putting a down payment, um, a deposit for a, a for, for a 250k self-supported um, trail race in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Yeah, um, so you pretty much yeah, you run with all the stuff that you need for the week, all the food, you know, all the clothes, whatever you need for a whole week of running um, on your back. So they just give you limited water every single day, which is very limited, and you pretty much do a marathon every day. And then the last day is a double marathon, um, which, yeah, it's all on like soft sand. And the Atacama Desert gets to about 40 degrees um, during the day. And then it drops to zero at night. So it's like 
you know, really extreme. It's all in altitude. Um, but yeah, that was my first trail race. That was <laughs> so the first went with the hardest one. And, you know, on the weekend, I did a 15K trail race. Oh, my gosh. First off, you're absolutely mad because, I, I mean, I think for most people, like, doing a 100-kilometer trail race is probably at the upper 5-10% of people being ballsy in the ultra scene or even, like, the first 100-mile, right, like, in the first year. But 230 kilometers at altitude at a common crossing – that's nuts. What what do you think it is about, like, I guess yourself when you're just Googling hardest ultra or trail race? Like, I don't know. What was going through your mind? Like, what what is yeah, it? I guess that it's, it's, it's kind of just go all in, like, you know, that go all in mentality. And that's, um, you know, with that addictive personality, it's like going all in. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be living in Australia. So that gives me the opportunity to do those things. Um, and, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I make the most out of those opportunities. And if that was doing that race that cost me at that point, you know, as a student, as a 25 year old student, it cost me the whole trip probably cost 10,000 us dollars, which was, you know, I had to max out my credit card. Um, you know, I had to save for six months as well, you know, back then, you know, I was probably making like eight, $9 an hour, you know, working, um, in a restaurant. So, or maybe a bit more, maybe about 14, $15 an hour. Um, you know, so there was a lot of money. I was living out of home and stuff like that. So it was yeah. kind of just, yeah, going all in and, and giving it a shot. And like, you know, that opened up so many doors for me that, mm-hmm. you know, I can never regret that. Even though at that time it seemed like the distance was insane that, you know, the entry fee just for the race was three and a half thousand US dollars plus, you know, the flights to the Atacama Desert and all the gear that you need. Like they have mandatory gear kit that you have to buy. Um, So that seemed like, you know, kind of like really crazy. Um, But that, yeah, I guess that's my personality that if I do something, I try and do it and go to the max with it. Did you already know like that based off of your personality, like I'm just going to go for this big thing. Like, did you have big aspirations in terms of becoming like an athlete at that point? Like, I'm not going to lie. It's saying that, uh, like, you know, I had that, I had that in the back of my mind. It definitely wasn't the main goal. So it wasn't like, all right, all I need to do is go win this race and, you know, I'll be an athlete for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, that wasn't the kind of thinking, but I, I did think that if I could do well there, you know, that can open up some doors for maybe a sponsorship. So I was thinking that that's definitely kind of my thought. Obviously, this is, you know, 2013. So like ultra running was fairly small at that point. Um, but still, I kind of felt like there was like a lot of growth to the sport to come. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was taking that chance and that it didn't pay off straight away. Obviously, I got nothing out of that race. But what it did do is create um, that passion in me to train more, race more. And, you know, probably I would say two years after it, three years after it, two and a half years after it, that's when I got my first sponsorship with the North Face um, that actually, you know, had any financial benefit to me. Till that point, you know, it was nothing. You know, there's no prize money in those races. You have to pay your own entry fees, all the travel and stuff like that. I was really broke till the age of 29 so four years even after that 
um, and, you know, while all my friends back home, you know, they were having full-time jobs and buying houses and, and stuff like that. You know, I was on, on a minus on my credit card all that time. And it was only till, yeah, probably about the age of 29 that I got out of the first time I got out of my minus on my credit card. So my um, kind of that finally paid off in many ways. That's awesome. Would you say that um, that race was probably the hardest race that you've ever done? I mean, it's, it's a bit hard to say. I mean, because the format of that race where you like, you know, you have limited water and it's super hard and, and you're running day after day, seven days, like, you know, in, in the conditions of the Atacama Desert, that was really hard. Um, but I don't think like in many ways, I don't think it's as hard as some of the hard 100K races or like the really competitive races that I've done. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. It was a different kind of pain where this race was just like an ongoing slow pain where you push really hard in some races, like one day races um, yeah. where you're trying to win them. You know, that's, that's really painful because you're really on the kind of max the whole time where the Atacama Desert, I was running fast and hard, but I wasn't on my like, you know, that really painful threshold that um, you kind of have to push if you want to win a race. Yeah. Um, so it's a different pain. Well, pretty damn impressive that that was your first or introduction to trail racing. And I guess fast forward eight years, you've done, I don't know, if, if you calculate like 30 races a year times seven, eight years, that's a hell of a lot of races. Um, during that time, um, have you, I have to ask, like, have you ever DNF'd a race or was there a particular race that you feel was so hard and challenging that you got the most return in terms of learning about yourself and even reigniting inspiration uh, for your training? Yeah, I mean, I, I DNF'd a lot. I think that I also have, like, you know, the bad th the thing is that I can push my body when I know I'm going to do well in a race. So, like, let's say out of the 250 races that I would have done in the last eight years, I probably finished in the top three in about 95% of them. Um, so I like the bad thing about me and my mental kind of strength is if I know I'm not going to do too well, I'm usually not going to be pushing as hard. So I can only push to my extremes where I know that I'm going to do well at that race. So yeah. there's been obviously a few races where I tried to push maybe overcooked overpushed, overcooked it. And then I realized that I'm going to be finishing, you know, a hundredth place at this race. And a yeah. few times I did kind of hobble to the finish line and that wasn't fun. That was the painful experiences that, you know, are really good for you. Yeah. Um, but also a few times of DNF as well that, you know, I kind of expect like, you know, kind of like, you know, not every day is going to be my best day. And yeah. especially when you are racing 30 to 40 times a year, you know, it's a lot of racing. So I know that not every single race is going to do well. I'm not, I'm not going to do well at, um, but I also know that I have another race probably the week after. So I also have to be a bit smart with, is there a, is like, you know, if I'm not going to do well, is there any point now hiking for the next six hours and coming, yeah. you know, 200 or 300 place, you know, so that, that's kind of like probably a negative thing in my mind about that. But yeah, I mean, it's just part of this whole journey of racing and, and racing often like I do, um, you know, that kind of has been working well for me for, for the last eight years and I wouldn't change it. A lot of athletes only race, you know, two or three times a year. 
and I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, you know, I just like racing and competing too much um, to yeah. do that. Do you have a, do you have a favorite DNF? I know DNFs are not sexy or anything, but do you have one in particular that, you know, was kind of like a, a standout memory for you? And why, why was it such a standout? To be honest, like my mind is really good in forgetting those things. So okay. I'll be like, I, would, I can't even tell you, I can probably remember one or two races that I DNF'd, even though I probably DNF'd about 10 or 12. Mm. Um, my, like I'll be really down with myself that day of that I DNF'd. And then the next day I'll forget about it and I'll continue training and I'll move on. Um, and yeah, that's also the good thing about racing so much because you've got to start thinking about the next race you got to forget about that one but i've had yeah probably the last dnf that i had was in europe um in 2018 at the occ which is you know part of the, the part UTMB. of the yeah utmb thing and you know there was a leading group probably of about 30 30 guys for about 15 20k and that pace was just too hard on me and and i blew up on the climb and there was a long climb and you know, I kind of DNF because I thought there's no point just making it to the finish line in, in, in the next five or six hours. Um, yeah. But I've also had some times where I felt the same and I still kind of made it to the finish line in the world champs. I had kind of a similar experience of a push that in the beginning, you know, blew up and then came 95th in that race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of don't have too many memories of them. You know, I understand they're part of the sport and um, as much as I can, I can try and learn from them. But I also know most of the time why I would DNF is because I would start too fast. Yeah. So I guess the biggest takeaway was maybe just don't start as hot or don't over overcook yourself. Exactly. Yeah, early, exactly. Right? And, you yeah. know, as a coach, you know, that's what I tell all my clients. Um, but sometimes like, you know, myself, I'm not even doing that anymore. Yeah. So when it comes to going through tough moments and, you know, especially longer ultra marathons, like hundred Ks, you're kind of guaranteed low moments, right? Do you have like anything that you do mentally during that time when you experience it, when you experience a low moment that helps you kind of get through them? Yeah, I think, I think like what you said, you need to kind of go into it and expect that they're going to come. Like, don't be surprised. Like, oh, it's hard. Like, you know, and you get all surprised. You, you gotta, they're going to happen. And that's, that's probably the main thing that you're going to just wait for them and see how you can get through them because they're there for everybody. And, you know, when you do well at 100K race, it's usually just getting over those bad patches that you have during the race. Usually I try and like bring my mind to a positive place because what happens when it gets hard, your mind is finding excuses of maybe why you should drop out, why it's a bad day, the weather is too hot, you didn't have a good night's sleep, you know what I mean? Um, so it's really easy to get into that kind of dig yourself that hole of excuses and, and why you should stop and why this is too hard. Where I try and bring my mind into a positive place, like maybe a good training session that I had, maybe like a good holiday that I had with, you know, with my family or with my wife, you know. Like I try and think about something positive because I know that that bad patch will go away. Um, And if I'm still kind of in the race, like, you know, I might be in the top five or something like that, or the top 10, um, you know, it's a lot easier to get out of those patches. But when I'm, let's say, 30th place, 
suddenly it's a lot harder to get out of those patches and even staying trying to stay positive still is a bit harder i think especially racing in southeast asia when like you said it, it can get really really hot and the humidity is at like 90 percent you're you're guaranteed a low moment right um how do you two questions one how do you stay really engaged and competitive during a race when things are i guess when you're running really well um because you know the field can be spread so thin that you might not see another runner uh for a really really long time right like do you feel like you're still just running against the clock and that keeps you motivated and competitive and engaged and i guess we'll start off with that question first and then i'll lead you into the other question later yeah i mean i think that it's actually like a good and a bad thing because it kind of you don't know how far the person behind you is so you mm. know what i mean it could be like an hour behind you but all you might know is around the corner so you kind of keep on pushing and that happened to me that i did a 100k race my shoelace got undone probably at about 15 20k into the race and I was too scared to stop and do my shoelaces because I thought that the guy will catch me. And I end up winning that race by over an hour. So, you know, that kind of mentality has always been there for me that you just keep on pushing, even if you're winning easily. You got to yeah. keep that kind of high kind of um, effort and kind of, you know, that's been my strength is that mental competitiveness. It's not really anything else except that competitiveness. Like I've done so much better in races than I do in training. Because, you know, in training, you don't really compete against anybody, especially when you do runs by yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's for me personally. Um, that's actually a really powerful thing. Actually, in races, like on road races where I can see somebody coming, it's even a little bit like different because I know that they are there and they might catch me. Um, so it's actually less competitive than when I don't know that they're there, but they might be there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like your your mind is kind of making up a ghost of yeah. someone yeah. behind you, right? And you're like trying to run away as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, quick question. Did you win the race with your shoelaces untied? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was in Hong Kong. So I, and at the same race, like um, I also paid my pants because I literally did not want to stop to pee in the middle of the race. I was like, oh, you know, wow. I'm like 10 seconds. I'm just going to pee my pants. Yeah. Jeez. What, what, uh, what shoes were you using for, for that? Cause I feel like, you know, a shoe would get loose if you didn't, you know, retie them. So I was just, I'm just curious. It would have been one of the North Face shoes. Um, okay. yeah, I wouldn't, this was 2015. So yeah, it's about five years ago. That's crazy. Okay, and then the second part, I guess, going off of um, Southeast Asian races, it being really hot, the humidity really being insane. How do you train for that? And is there anything that you recommend uh, besides, you know, just running outside um, to help you uh, heat acclimatize? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough. Like I did a race in Malaysia um, six months ago before the locked kind of before all the Corona kind of started. And that was hot, like in Sabah, um, in Borneo. That was super, super hot, humid, you know, painful. I don't think you can really kind of, you know, train for it. Obviously, you, try, you do your runs in the middle of the day and you just make sure that you kind of recover for the next session um, so you can do another one and another one and another one. And the more you're going to do it, the easier it's going to get. 
I think that the main thing is just not overheating. Um, so it's very easy to overheat when it's already hot outside. Yeah. So you almost have to run at this kind of like 70 to 80% um, effort the whole time. Um, so you don't know, because once you overheat and it's hot outside, you, this, you, it's really hard to come back from it. And that's usually when you start cramping, you might get headaches, um, you know, it becomes really, really tough. So one thing that I did learn with, with all the races that I've done in Southeast Asia is definitely hold back a little bit. Um, and, and there, like, you know, I've seen so many people blow up. They went too quickly. It's the only place that I would really hold back because it's, it's the hit. That's the only thing that's going to make me kind of hold back a little bit at the start. And and yeah, I mean, obviously I've overcooked myself many times and I know just go a bit slower and start hydrating and looking after your nutrition straight from the start. Don't wait till like, you know, 15K into the race. You know, if you have any extra water, pour it on your head, um, you know, bring in enough electrolytes and water and nutrition that you, you will kind of need um, to kind of get your body over those hot, hot moments. Yeah, and I guess this is probably the perfect segue into your company that you recently co-founded, uh, Bix Hydration. And you co-founded that with your wife, right? Yeah, pretty much me and my wife have worked on it for um, the last three years. So we spent two years in development kind of stages and testing it out. Um, it wasn't easy. Um, obviously, starting a company with no investors, hardly any money is, is definitely challenging. Um, but the company has been moving in the right direction and, and we've been increasing with it every month um, only because, you know, we kind of really put everything out there on the company to create a good product for runners and, and, and whoever uses it. And we weren't thinking about making a profit. Um, you know, a lot of those nutrition companies today, which is something that I've learned while we were researching and developing um, Bix is a lot of them is a couple of businessmen would kind of get, gather around and they will see a hole in the market and then they were trying to create the worst product with the best marketing. So the yeah. margin of profit is the highest for them. And that wasn't our thinking. Like our thinking was, I want to create a product that if it doesn't sell, I can just consume it myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Like I, wanna, I wanted a product that I can sit in front of somebody and doesn't have, I don't have to lie to them and tell them there is so much great things in it where that product was, you know, produced in, 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 a, in the, you know, with cheap ingredients, with hardly anything in it, um, you know, but still trying to sell it as, as a product that has any value to the person taking it. And, and, you know, it's sad that a lot of companies take advantage of really cheap marketing today and they, you know, brand products that have nothing in them to, to be products that can solve all your problems. Um, yeah. Where, you know, and, and to be honest, like we could have made Bix in Bulgaria, for example, and that would have saved at 20%, like 20% on, on cost of product is massive. You know, we could have got our ingredient, we could have got our magnesium from China, for example. Um, you know, nothing against, I'm just kind of trying to kind of paint a picture, but we got our magnesium, let's say from Germany, which is another 15% more expensive, you know, so you start kind of adding those percentages and, and then you see where you're not making a big profit while you're trying to create a really good product. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would take a bit of time for us to obviously to make a profit, but I understand that we are creating a good brand that I believe in and everybody that's been using it so far are starting to see the benefits of, you know, all the hard work that we put into it. 
you and your your wife is Bix, right? Like she's a she's a runner as well. Uh, you do <laughs> a crazy amount of races, and like obviously you want the best ingredients for yourself, right? And you're just sharing that product with the world. What I'm trying to say is you are literally taking the best products because you vetted it out yourself. It works for you. You run X amount of races. You uh, train really hard and find your way on top of podiums. Of course, you want to be able to recover fast and take in the essential vitamins and minerals as opposed to, I think you said you were, before Bix, you were taking like four different supplements trying to get all the levels right, right? And that was probably the impetus in creating the the product that is Bix right now, right? A hundred percent. So like, you know, I was taking, you know, trying to get enough magnesium and zinc and iron and potassium and, and Q10 and bromelain and and, you know, I had to get it from different sources. And when you start getting all the add-ons that they have in their products, you know, all the chemicals in their products, suddenly my stomach wasn't too happy. So that's definitely when I started thinking about creating Bix. And that was, you know, I'd say about four or five years ago. Um, obviously, starting something like Bix is very expensive. So it did take us a bit of time um, to save up the money. Um, but also, like, you know, we worked with the German sports scientists um, to make sure that all the ingredients work together and they can fit into one tablet as well. So that wasn't easy. So when we kind of had the idea, all right, well, we just put those 12 vitamins, minerals and electrolytes in one tablet, any manufacturer can do it, but that wasn't like that. You know, all of them is like, no, we don't do that. We just do the basic, you know, we just put in a bit of salt and sugar and that's it. Um, so it did take quite a lot of time. That's the two years of product development. And then also like that chemical taste that, you know, people kind of, in that industry kind of learn to accept it. So we wanted to stay away from that chemical taste. And that's why we used um, beetroot and carrot powder for a, like a natural taste as well. So we didn't want that chemical taste that people kind of associate any dissolvable hydration tablet with. Um, so we're kind of slowly trying to, you know, change that kind of mentality. And But in many ways, what the industry has done is really kind of made it hard for us to start a new new product because people accept always oh, that chemical taste. Um, so that's going to take us a bit of time till we kind of get through people and kind of like, look, this is not that chemical taste that you're used to. You know, we've spent a lot of time, money and effort into making it a natural flavor um, as well as healthy for you with the ingredients as well in it. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, magnesium on its own because I have like a magnesium dropper that I use sometimes. You can definitely have the chemical taste like backlash in your mouth but we we have uh bix here at uh banana run if anybody's listening in, in thailand you can get bix hydration at banana run um and yeah the, there's no chemical taste and it it just makes it easy like you just you know pop it in your drink after a run and you're ready to go yeah i mean i think like i mean our biggest markets so far have been like um malaysia singapore philippines um hong kong um, Australia, it's because of that hot, humid kind of um, climate um, that I think Bix works well at. And and you kind of my mentality behind Bix was when I was training in Hong Kong um, in the Hong Kong summer, which is as bad as the Thai summer and the Malaysian summer, where it's like ninety five percent humidity, and where I needed so much to replace, so I can make sure that I start the next run with enough energy, so I can put in a good session. 
Um, yeah. So that kind of mentality was that product was designed for those climates um, mm -hmm. in many ways. Uh, when it comes to, I guess, recommended dosage for Bix, let's say you're in a 100K uh, trail race in deep humidity, do you recommend taking one capsule or one tablet every hour on the hour? Or I know everybody's different, but uh, I guess what, what do you kind of recommend? Yeah, I, th I think something that people kind of... Um think of Bix is like that's a product that you would have only during races um, in many ways what you do in, in a race is great but to have a good result in a race you got to do well in the three months leading up to that race so that's the same thing with Bix so we designed a product um, that you should have straight after every training run so pretty much like let's say you finish your run you would have a Bix straight away so your recovery your immune system everything is topped up so you can do another run the next day and the next day and the next day so when you do get to that 100k race you are stronger you're fresher you're um, fitter because of those three months of training um, which Bix kind of help you throughout it obviously Bix is still a, a, a electrolyte tablet so you can use it as an electrolyte tablet so you know having um, one every probably 90 minutes is probably kind of bad enough um, in any race that you do so any kind of run over 90 minutes you can start consuming electrolytes um, you know, some calories as well. So Bix is, is obviously a zero calorie product, but obviously as you go like over 90 minutes, you probably want some calories as well on top of it. Yeah. Um, but the main kind of focus is Bix is making sure that your training is on track. So then when you do get to that start line of hundred K or any other race, um, you are there fresh, strong and ready to do well. And I think that, you know, if I look at my Instagram, for example, most of my DMS is like, how should I do this race or how, what tactics should I use for this race or what nutrition should I use for that race? Um, you know, there's a lot of focus on the race itself. And I think there's not enough focus on the training leading up to the race. And I think that that's why I've been able to be successful is that race day. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's challenging. It's fun, but then I also forget about it and I refocus on training because I know that that's where I need to be focused on. And then the yeah. race day should be the easiest kind of day in many ways. The hard bit is training every single day and, and you know, running twice a day, um, yeah. every single day. That's the hard bit. The race is, is fun. You know, usually you're tapered up for it a little bit. There's other people around you. There's some atmosphere. There's a finish line. When you do that by yourself, like I went for a run this morning, it's, you know, 32 degrees at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, that's the hard kind of runs that you got to put in when nobody's not watching to do well in races. And I think that people should really put in more focus in their training and their preparation, recovery, sleep, strength work that they do in the lead up to a race. And then if they get all of that right, they don't even have to worry about what's going to happen in the race because they're going to be so much stronger than before that they will do much better than they expect. Yeah, I guess it's a safer bet to overcook yourself in your training runs, right? That way, you know, you're like limit your, you, you know yourself a little bit more. And then, you know, when the 100K comes around in humidity, you're able to cruise at a seven or an eight RPE, right? And Definitely, yeah. I mean, 100%. You want to be, you, you, that's right. So you want to feel uncomfortable many, many times in the lead up to that 100K in training. So when you do get to that race, it's not that bad. You know, I've done every, Every Wednesday for the last three months, I've ran at 35 degrees. So, you know, running at 
35 degrees right now for the next five hours, it's not a big deal. So yeah, I think that that's the way they should talk, think about their nutrition, about their sleep, about their recovery, um, about mobility and flexibility and stuff like that as well. It's not about what warm up I should do before my race. That does not really matter. What matters is what warm up have you done before every single run in the last three or four months. That is what is matter. Yeah, everything adds up over time, right? Exactly that consistency. That's that's the that's the recipe for success. I remember in um, previous interviews, you said that training could take five to six hours, online coaching, maybe four to five hours. And I imagine running a business takes a, a really big chunk of time as well. Are there any secrets on how you manage everything successfully? And, you know, when it comes to an average day, what does that look like when you're operating in all different parts? I mean, I think for the last kind of eight years, I've been working seven days a week. So I've been literally working every single day. Um, you know, with a business like online coaching, you don't really have days off, especially if you have a lot of clients um, and you do a good, you're trying to do a good job. And the only reason I've been successful as an online coach is that I've been giving more than what I'm supposed to give in many ways. Um, I think that there isn't like a formula to it. I think that the only thing that you have to accept is that you got to sacrifice um, for a better future for yourself, hopefully later on. Mm. Um so I think that, you know, obviously I sacrificed. I don't have as many friends anymore because I don't have time to see them. You know, I have limited time that I spend with my wife because I have so many commitments and that's my personal choices, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but like, let's say all that hard work has paid off to the point where Bix is big enough now that I can slowly work my way away from online coaching and mm -hmm. put in more time into the company. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, again, looking at the big picture, I understand that, Online coaching has got a very low ceiling where Bix has got like a, a way higher ceiling. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that hard work of the last eight years is starting to pay off that now I can say, all right, now I don't have to have 30 clients. You know, maybe I'm going to have 10 clients for the next six months. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of working my way out of that and, and putting more time into Bix. I don't think I'm going to be working less at this point. Um, obviously all the money that I've saved for the last kind of five or six years went into the company and the company won't make a profit for another two or three years. So I don't look at that as a kind of like a money thing. Um, but I understand that I need to create like sacrifice a bit more for the company to grow. So we are at the point where Bix is getting bigger. So I need to put in more than let's say five hours a day on Bix. It has to become eight or nine hours a day. So right now, like, you know, looking at my day right now, I would do my morning run, um, let's say at eight o'clock. And then I would work from maybe like nine till about four in the afternoon. Um, and then I would do my other run till about six or 6.30 in the afternoon. And then from about seven o'clock till 11 o'clock at night, I'll be working again, like all the coaching. Mm. And that's pretty much like six days a week. And then on a Sunday, I would just take away that night section of seven o'clock till 11 o'clock at night. So it's yeah. a lot, a lot of work, obviously, a lot of kind of commitment. Um, I think it's just kind of being driven by a goal that I set myself and slowly getting better, but consistent with it. So, yeah. you know, obviously I understand that I can't work 18 hours a day right now because I'm training twice a day. So I kind of have to be smart about how much I'm training while I'm still running. And, you know, being 33, you know, I probably have another five or six years of running in front of me. But maybe once I stop running, you know, I'll be working more. 
you know, so I think I just kind of adapt as time goes on and that's been working for me um, so far. If running has taught us anything, it's about being one, showing up every day, being consistent, but also knowing that whatever you plant in that day is invested in the long term. And running, you're right. Running is a perfect way of showing it because it endure, endurance sports in general is putting on those little layers of strength and that another run, another run, another run, another run, another run. And you got to do that for years. And then you're going to really see some really great results. And that's what I'm kind of starting to experience in the last few years is really good results from all the other years that I've been working. And same with the company, like, you know, you still put in work, even when we weren't that successful, like when we weren't making a lot of sales, you know, we still put in a lot of work into the company um, to improve little things and get better and 1% better here and 1% better there. And now it's starting to pay off. So you're hundred percent right. It's that consistency. Um, even when things don't look great, you just got to keep going, keep going, keep grinding. And, you know, usually it all finds its kind of right way and right path um, yeah. down the track, but you got to yeah, keep showing up. Yeah. Like you said, that's taken right from endurance sports into entrepreneurship. Are there any other big lessons that you kind of transfer over from uh, either ultra running or even triathlon that apply to uh, running a business? I think running a business, a big thing of it is connections. So I think that, um, you know, in the sport of running and stuff like that, you can really open up a lot of doors by just hanging around in races and, and chatting with people. And that has kind of really made me realize how important that is in business as well. Because naturally, I'm pretty closed, um, kind of like I'll do the race and go away. Um, but now I'm kind of like rethinking the way I operate with trying to be a little bit more open, talk with more people, shake more people's hands and stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like kind of communicate a bit more um, in my business as well. It's the way I do it. And and kind of what happened in running as well that opened up so many doors for me just from talking to people and and in the way of getting new clients for online coaching and stuff like that if you know doing some other you know photo shoots and stuff like that all from just hanging around races and talking a little bit more and um, networking yeah yeah huge especially when um i mean you're doing about 20 to 30 races a year that's a that's a lot of hands to shake and a lot of uh, babies to kiss, right? Yeah, and it's powerful. Like, you know, it's really, really powerful. Like, in many ways, I knew that. And that's why I've been doing so many races. My goal, like, to be honest, like, my goal with running is not winning UTMB or, or you know, a certain race that I want to win. It's more about sustaining that lifestyle that I had for the last eight years, which is traveling for races, uh, you know, training every day and challenging myself throughout training then challenging myself throughout races and i think that um it wasn't kind of going after one particular goal but it's just kind of staying there in the game and and that's really kind of paying off right now with my running which is really connected to bix right now as well uh, vlad we're coming to the end of our quick interview but i i want to say thanks for sharing your story and more about bix hydration um is there anything upcoming in terms of like either races or bigger projects or even things that we can look forward to when it comes to Bix that you can kind of leak out and share with us? Um, yeah, in terms of running, I'll, I'll be doing seven marathons in um, seven days in seven states in Australia. So pretty much what? the seven capital cities of Australia. 
Um, it's a charity event. So, you know, something that I wanted to do more of last year was a bit more charity because running has brought me so much joy and, and obviously success. So from last year, I kind of thought, you know, I got to do more charity work. I did a little bit at the beginning of the year and then kind of Corona hit. Um, so yeah, 2021, I'm doing that charity kind of event, um, which would be fun. Racing wise, it's a little bit hard to say because traveling outside of Australia is super tough right now. Um, yeah. So I probably won't know for a little bit. But Bix, yeah, we're definitely working on new products right now. We're testing new flavors, um, other products as well. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't want to finish Bix with like, you know, a single product. You know, it's definitely going to slowly um, get to the point that it becomes a nutrition company. Uh, we do try and like, you know, take our time in developing products so we can come out with a good product rather than you know, have the same product that's already on the market. Um, so we do want to try and kind of innovate at least a little bit um, in what we do with Bix. So that's going to take some time, but, you know, yeah. like the first product that took us two years, you know, the next one will probably take a little bit longer as well. And, and we end up with a good product. I guess my biggest thing that I use during my races are the salt pills. So if you guys are making salt pills, I'll jump on that bandwagon soon. <laughs> It's it's really funny that you say that, but because I have that website of that company that you are talking to open on my desktop um, oh, for the yeah. last probably for, for the last few months, and that's actually something I will tell you a true story. I actually saw that while I was in a running shop here in Perth um, that we sell their beaks, and I just came in to have a chat with them, and I was there probably for about half an hour, and I saw three people buy those um, those salt, well salt stick. I mean, I don't yeah, know salt stick, the yeah. name yeah hide the name of their company and it's a it's a product that is not sexy you know what i mean it's not like wow another amazing gel or or a powder but it's moving some products so yeah we've been looking at that and um yeah we've got some samples of that a while ago but it wasn't like perfect so it's something that will you know kind of work our way through different manufacturers and you know different formulations to just improve on on it a little bit till it's ready yeah Here's, here's how you win. You add a little bit of caffeine in there and it's a caffeine salt pill and everybody's going to be addicted to it. Yeah, that's right. Caffeine <laughs> electrolyte pill. Yeah. Yeah. Caffeine electrolyte pill. That That's the secret right there. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yeah, we're not going to push the world, the word salt as much as, as we're going to push the word, word electrolytes. Energy electrolyte pill, right? Exactly. That would be the boost. So before we get to our last three questions, I want to ask you, uh, where can people find you, connect with you? What's your Instagram handle? What's your YouTube channel? Um, all of your links. Yeah, probably Instagram is my main one, um, which is VladXL, V-L-A-D-I-X-E-L. Yeah, I mean, I do a bit of YouTube and that's something that I'm going to do a lot more from um, kind of end of this year, beginning of next year. I've got probably about 30 workouts that are like, um, designed 100% for runners. So they kind of follow long workouts and they can be found also on the Vlad Excel on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I'll be doing a lot more strength workouts for runners for sure on YouTube. Awesome. Looking forward to those because ever since I started following on you, uh, you on Instagram um, and also YouTube, like it's been awesome to be able to integrate those workouts in, into my training because, well, I live in a city, so we don't really have you know, access to trails all that much besides driving two hours to whatever trail next to Bangkok, right? So adding in the specific strengthening on the BOSU ball with 
you know, the, the kettlebells, it's, it's been adding a lot of confidence. So really appreciate all, all the work that you've been putting into that type of media. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear it. And yeah, hundred percent, the more you're going to invest in your strength work, the less money you're going to spend on physios and on and injuries. Noted. Noted. Um, all right. So last three questions. What do you live by daily? Is there a quote, mantra, something that kind of keeps you grounded um, that you adhere to? Um, I think if you do something, do it to the to the max, kind of, you know, go all in or nothing. And also what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, you know, I think that that's something that living in Australia is really, I had to really kind of remind myself that all the time. You know, worst case scenario for me living in Australia is, you know, a minimum wage paid job as, as a waiter in a restaurant and I'd be still making $20 an hour. So, I mean, um, I think it's important for me to take those opportunities while I still can because the drop is very, very small if you live in a developed country. Boom. Uh, what are your essential or favorite pieces of gear you need for your long run? To be honest, like unless it's like 30K plus, I don't take anything with me. So I'll try and go just with shorts. Um, so I keep it super simple. Obviously, if I start going over 30K, then I got to make sure that I got a little bit of calories and electrolytes. So I might take my Bix and um, spring energy gels, which, you know, big, you know, amazing work that they've done, which is a natural kind of all ingredient gel, um, you know, really good product. So I would take those two on my longer runs. Um, but that doesn't really happen too often unless I'm training for a race. Mm -hmm. um, so I try and keep my runs very, very minimal. Like, you know, I don't like carrying too many things, usually no t-shirt, just shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with 30, 30 plus degrees Celsius heat, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last question, what makes you feel the most alive? Um, to be honest, like, I think that what gives me that feeling is actually failures. So whenever I do bet in a race or bet in a training session or some things doesn't go to what I think the plan is, that kind of makes me feel alive in many ways because I kind of expect like a certain level out of me, um, which it might be doing top three in races or whatever, whatever. Um, so when that doesn't happen, that kind of just gives me this kind of like shock of reality. Hey, like, you know, wake up, keep working hard because it's not just like given out. You got to keep working hard for it. And and I think that you need those bad experiences um, to keep moving forward. So, I mean, like if I won every single race, you know, I probably wouldn't be improving much. But, you know, those bad days and bad experiences make you kind of stronger and, and make you feel like, you know, you gotta keep on top of things otherwise you're gonna keep falling down so it's kind of a good reminder thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the nomad wolf podcast it really means so much that you guys take the time out of your day to spend it with me and our guests i really hope that today's content here and on the blog helps you on your path if you're a new listener and like what you hear, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We'll be interviewing more Nomad Wolves and unpacking more secrets and stories that you don't want to miss. I'm going to leave you guys right here, but in the meantime, take care, take care of each other, stay present, and do your best to move forward, even if it's only a little bit. I'll catch you next time. Peace.